Good morning. I am here to talk about Faith Promise, and the first thing I have to do is to thank you for your extreme generosity last year. It's been a hard year, and the Faith Promise uh, contributions have continued to come in, and we presented a little bit. You'll see another video in a minute. You'll see that our missionaries have just carried on, and God carries on with his work. So thank you so much. I've got a few little notes here, so I won't forget to say something. We have missionaries doing direct work in six different countries around the world. We have another training and coaching and working to send missionaries well from here. Um, our missions team is very intentional, very careful about who we, uh, who we support and uh, that the work that they do lines up with what we uh, feel needs to be done. If you wanna read more about that, you can go to firstchurch.net slash missions and uh, you can see where we have criteria, we have very specific things, but we also have the privilege of a very close relationship with all the missionaries that we support. We talk to them, we hear from them, uh, you'll, you'll meet all of them on uh, video or on stage during last week and this week. We also work with three orphanages in different countries around the world. Uh, the director of the orphanage in Honduras was to be with us this morning. We're going to somehow, uh, we'll probably do a, a Facebook Live this week, so be watching for that to, to meet those directors. Uh, they're snowed in on the other side of Fort Worth right now. Um, Luke Raju has just returned from checking on his orphanage in India, so even though travel is difficult, he has such a heart for that place that he just couldn't stay away, so he's just returned. And Chiv will be heading back to Cambodia in about two weeks. Uh, he and Emma had a trip recently, and he came home just with such a burden for unfinished business, hunger for God, and he's eager to get back, and so he'll be returning. So today is Faith Promise Sunday. It helps us plan if we know what you plan to challenge God to provide. So if you'll just click on the link, I think it's up here. Um, click on that link, let us know what you uh, hope to be able to con contribute this year, and then leave it to God. Ask him where it's going to come from. Again, thank you so much for your generosity. Thank you for your support, um, and we'll look forward to hearing from you online, even though we don't have cards this year. So thank you. I have recently joined the staff of 1615 Church Missions Coaching. Our vision is to see churches mobilized so that all the nations of the earth uh, would know him and worship him. Uh, as we know right now, almost half the world's population has little to no access to the gospel. 2020, you know, what can we say? What can I say? I actually had the opportunity to travel to the Philippines during the month of February, returning to the United States in March. So we are sad that we're not able to travel as much as we'd like, but the good news is that God continues to the work through his servants on the field. The feeding program continues because of the dedication of Pastor Darrell, his team, and the funding of those who stand with us. 1615 decided that we were not going to shrink back, we were not going to go dark, uh, and we decided to put out, uh, honestly, more content. We saw higher numbers than ever before and uh, during the midst of the global pandemic. That was all God and all the Lord. But it's because of churches like First Methodist Carrollton supporting us, supporting our mission, 
that we are able to do what we do. And I am very grateful that my health issues are under control and I'm also very grateful for this man who takes such good care of me. Thank you for your prayers for our son, our second son, Samuel, father of 10, who as many as you know, was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer in October of 2019. He is now a part of a clinical trial at MD Anderson and continues to work and provide for his family. We give all the praise and glory to God. We consider you partners in the gospel, um, and we hope that you continue uh, to walk alongside us. We are honored to lock arms with you and proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. So I, I hope I get to see you soon. I hope that we can have some uh, post-COVID celebrations. And uh, until then, um, just have faith, be encouraged, and pray continuously. And thank you so much. Uh, you should have received an email from me uh, yesterday. And in that, in that email, we ask that you do two things. One, there's several things you can do, but specifically I ask for two things. One is to pray for our missionaries. And on that, in that email, it lists out the missionaries that we support at this time. Um, of course, the more faith promise that we receive, the more missionaries we'll be able to support. The second is to participate in Faith Promise with your financial generosity. And there's a link there. In fact, I went to that email, my own email, and clicked on that and filled out my Faith Promise this morning, and I hope you will do the same. And what I want to do now is to, to pray a prayer of dedication over those Faith Promise uh, uh, commitments, that God would uh, not only bless the opportunity that our church has to spread the good news not only to Carrollton and, and this in this area but around the world in global missions in so many languages let us pray Lord God we do thank you for the tremendous opportunity that we have to uh, to share your name with those who have never heard it and, and Lord, I pray in this moment that you would bless every missionary that, that, we, have, that, that we support financially. In fact, Lord, I pray that you would bless every missionary that has risked themselves in cultures that are dangerous, that have, have sacrificed uh, what would be a normal life to, to go to another country, but they, Lord, they have made tremendous sacrifices, Lord, and we pray that you, would, that you would honor those. And, Lord, that you would use us as your instruments. Not all are sent, Lord, but we all are called to support. And so, oh God, this morning, as, as those faith promise commitments are made, I ask for your blessing. We dedicate them to you. We dedicate them to you that that our missions committee would use, with, use those funds with wisdom and direction from you. I pray, oh God, that you would multiply the generosity that is so much a part of this church and that you would give us, oh Lord, your guidance and direction in the direction that you would have us go. Lord, we ask not that you would join us, but we pray, oh God, that you would make it clear to us where you are, that we may join you. 
for every faith promise that is made, we now dedicate it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. So good to be with you. I'm glad that everybody's tuning in online. Having an empty room that doesn't talk back is a little disconcerting, but we'll get through it. So uh, we've got a couple people in the room that I'll be staring at, so don't, don't mind me. Um, my name is Lauren, and I get to wear a lot of hats around here. I get to write scripts for puppets and solder cables and be the voice of God from the sound booth when needed. And... Um, but I also get to serve as the missions pastor, and that's one of my favorite things that I get to do here, so thank you for letting me serve you in this way. Um, missions is something that I'm super passionate about because I think it's something that God is super passionate about. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Our theme for this missions week is sent. And so we're looking at the questions, what does it mean to be sent? What does it mean to be ascending church? And these are important questions, but before we get there, I think we need to take a step back and say, okay, why do we even bother with missions at all? What is it about missions that's important? So that's what we're going to be doing first. And the answer is pretty simple on that. I'm going to go through and make my case, but I'll just tell you what I believe right up front. We care about missions because God cares about missions. It's his mission. It's the mission of God, and he invites all of us to participate in it. Now, we have different ways we participate. We're not all missionaries. We're not all sent out. But we all have ways we get to be on mission with God, ways we can be missional. And so that's important because that's really God's story. From Genesis to Revelation is the story of God seeking us out, seeking and going to us so that we can find him. And likewise, we do the same for others. So we know this is important to God because at the very end of time, we see that he is worshipped by every people, every nation, every tribe. We see this in Revelation um, in 7-9 in a couple places. We, we see that he is worthy of being worshipped in every language. We got to experience a little bit of that this morning, um, but it's just a tiny taste of being, God being able to be worshipped by thousands of languages. And the thing is, we're a long way off from every tribe and tongue and language being able to stand before the throne of God. We heard in the video a minute ago that almost half the world has no access to the gospel. That's a lot of people groups we're going to talk about here in a minute that don't even have a chance to respond to Jesus yet. So how do we get from where we are today to what we see in Revelation of every people, every tongue, every tribe, that's what we're going to look at. And the thing is that Jesus has given us a job to do. You're probably familiar with the Great Commission, I guess. Most of us in this church have heard that. And so maybe what we don't realize is that's not the only place Jesus talks about missions and sending out. There's actually five commissioning statements of Jesus, one in every gospel and in the book of Acts. And so these actually build on each other. These actually happened on five separate occasions. We know from the context clues in Scripture that it's not just the same thing. It's not just the synoptic Gospels where Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of copy each other's book reports. Like, this is five separate occasions. And so Jesus builds on this, starting small, kind of just giving them a taste of what he's calling them to do, and then getting more and more specific. So we're going to spend the next five weeks looking at these five statements, just kidding, John doesn't like me that much. We're going to quickly go through and hit just the highlights 
So there's a lot more we could look at here, but we don't have time. I promise I won't keep you here all day, but you're home, so we might as well. Um, anyway, we're going to start in um, going through these. But before I start, I like to cite my sources. So you should see there's a book by Marvin Newell called Commissioned. And so this is where I've been learning a lot of this. This is ideas I've been learning recently, and also resources from 1615. Um, my friend David works with them, and they provided a lot of resources for churches. So those are the sources you can go if you want to check out more. Um, so let's, let's jump in. Let's show, go to John 20, 21. So this is the first statement. We're going to go chronologically. So this is the night of the resurrection. 24 hours ago, Jesus was dead. His heart was not beating, his lungs were not breathing, he was in a tomb. The disciples were devastated. They were traumatized. They've had some PTSD, okay? They're completely lost and confused, have no idea what's going on. The one they thought was going to save the world is gone and brutalized. And so now they've started to hear reports that maybe he's alive, so they're a little bit hopeful, but mostly still scared and confused. And so Jesus comes to them and he just walks through the locked door there's 10 of them there. Thomas is somewhere else. Don't really know why he didn't get the memo. Uh, Judas has already kind of, uh, let's say, withdrawn his membership. So he's not here anymore. And we've got 10 guys who are scared, huddled in a locked room. And Jesus just walks through the locked door, which seems to be a benefit of the resurrection body. Doesn't have the same time-space limitations that we have. So that's something to look forward to, right? But Jesus says, peace be with you. Probably important to these traumatized, scared guys. And then he repeats it, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So this is our first statement, and it's pretty generic, right? Like there's not a lot of spec you know, specifics here. You kind of have to know who Jesus is and how he was sent before you know how you're going to be sent. The good news is the disciples knew this. They'd been spending three years with Jesus. They'd walked with him. They'd eaten thousands of meals with him. They'd had thousands of campfire stories together over the course of, of three years. And so they knew who he was. They knew how God had sent him. So for us, we need to know the context of who Jesus is before we can be sent out. So as we read some of Jesus' statements, we can put this in context. When Jesus says, I come to bring life and life abundantly, so I am sending you. I came to seek and save the lost, so I am sending you. I came not to be served, but to serve. So I am sending you. So as we look at how Jesus came to love and to teach and to heal and restore, that in that same way, we are called to be sent out into the world. Jesus was sent to live incarnationally among people. So we also go to live incarnationally among the people that God calls us to. So God sends Jesus. Jesus sends us. This is God's mission. He's doing the sending but he invites all of us to participate. We're all called to be part of this sending out by Jesus. That will look different for each of us, but, but this is something that Jesus is giving to everyone he invites to follow him. So we're going to flip on over to Mark, and this is about a week later, and it tells us that all 11 are gathered here. So Thomas got the memo this time. And so Jesus says in Mark 16, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Okay, we're going to do a, your weekly Greek lesson here. It's not too hard, um, but the Greek root word for all is the word pause. This is a root word. It has some derivatives, 
but the root word is, is pause. And so, guess what it means? All means all. All means all. It's not that hard. There are some theologians that will try to do a lot of like textual and mental gymnastics and try to say, well, all doesn't always mean all. Yeah, no, sorry, they're wrong. All means all. God desires that all should be saved. God has called us to go to all creation because he will restore all things and make all things new. This is good news for the entire created cosmos. And it's our job to take that news to all the world. So, all means all. Pretty simple. I think we can hang with that. Uh, so let's keep going. We're going to go to Matthew 28. This is the one you're probably most familiar with. This one gets the Great Commission title, possibly because Matthew's first and, you know, great. Yay. Um, but anyway, this is the one that is most commonly understood. It has some more specifics and it's pretty easy to understand. Um, so reading it real quick, we have the disciples have now gone to Galilee. So they've left Jerusalem. The first two passages, John and Mark, happened in Jerusalem in locked rooms uh, that didn't bother Jesus. And now we're in Galilee. The disciples have gone back. Jesus does some ministry in Galilee for 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. He's spending time with the disciples. He's teaching them. They're going through these things. And so on this particular occasion, he said, hey, meet me at this mountain. We don't know where it is, but the disciples knew it. And so Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, there's a lot here. We could spend a lot of time here, but we just have time for highlights. So let's key in on verse 19. And what we're going to look at here is a little bit more technical than the last Greek lesson, so hang with me. There's some Greek verb tenses and sentence structure that are pretty important here. And so when you actually look at the Greek, the, the verbs work differently than how we read them in English. So I'm not going to bore you with all the details about the aorist passive participles, but if we're looking at a more literal translation, it's going to look something like this. Having gone, therefore, disciple all the nations, baptizing them, dot, dot, dot. Okay? So it's only very recently in the development of the English language that we can take a noun and make it a verb. We Google things, that's a noun. It's not supposed to be a verb. So for hundreds of years, you had to put an actual verb in there for it to make sense. So that's where we get make disciples. The problem is... We really like short, uh, simple phrases that can fit on bumper stickers, and we tend to forget the rest of the context. And so we say, make disciples. Well, I can do that. I can make disciples of my family. I can make disciples of my neighbors. I can make disciples of my Sunday school class. And all those are really, really good things that we need to do, and Jesus assumed that we would do. But it misses what Jesus is saying here. The, the word... In Greek, the verb disciple is a transitive verb. If you've forgotten middle school grammar, don't worry. This just means it needs a direct object for it to make sense. If I say disciple, you're like, well, who? Disciple who? Disciple what? It needs a direct object. And Jesus' direct object is of all the nations. All the nations. In Greek, this is pantata ethne. Pas, panta, all. So we see that Greek word there. All means all. And then ethne probably makes sense. We get our word ethnic from it. The nations. Um, 
So, when we're talking about nations, we're not talking about countries with a flag, right? We're talking about people groups, ethnic groups. We're talking about groups that have their own language or dialect, their own history, their own culture. So we get hundreds of these people groups within each geopolitical nation. So when we're talking about all the nations, we're not just making sure we have, well, we've got one church in Japan and one church in Kenya and one church in all these nations that the UN recognizes, so we're good. It doesn't work that way. Jesus wants all languages and peoples and tribes represented before his throne. And the fact is, we're not even close to being there yet. So we're going to talk about this more in a minute. But remember, all the nations, all means all, and it's a, a much bigger task than just looking for the flags, okay? So we need to not just get them saved, get them to wave, raise a hand or sign a card or whatever. We need to disciple them. We need to live life with them and show them what it means to follow Jesus. And he also says, make sure they're baptized and make sure they get taught everything Jesus commanded. Now, that's a pretty big task, right? Um, and for the disciples, they didn't have one of these to know what Jesus commanded. So that's why he spends these 40 days with them after the resurrection, before the ascension, talking about reiterating, here's what I've commanded, here's what's important, as I'm sending you out, here's what you need to know and transmit to the next generation of disciples. So we're going to jump over to Luke 24, 44 through 47, and this is a summary statement of all that Jesus taught over these 40 days. So again, this is a unique appearance, if you will, resurrection appearance, where Jesus is, is telling them, hey, here's what you need to know. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. So this is real similar to what Jesus did with the two guys on the road to Emmaus, right? Like, wouldn't you love to have your minds open to the scriptures to understand all that Jesus is talking about for all of this to make sense? Well, we can. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. Um, keep going. Verse 46, verse 47. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So this sums up God's story. This is what we need to know about why the world is broken, why Jesus came, and what we need to do about it. We all have sin that separates us from God. The world is broken. It needs, a, is that solution. His death and resurrection makes a way for us to repent and be forgiven. There's, there's something we have to do. We have to re repent, and God does the forgiving. And this is the good news for the whole world. This is what Jesus wants to be taught to all the nations. And, and it's not, that's the, the summary, but then all of this is important, right? All of this gives us the context for, for who God is, for what his story is, and how we can participate with him in his story. So moving on to our last passage, we have Acts 1.8. And so this is Luke again. He's writing the second part of his narrative, and he's telling us what happens. Jesus' very last words right before the ascension, right before Jesus is taken up into heaven, he says, but this is Jesus speaking, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, one more earth-shattering Greek lesson. And, the Greek word in and is K. It means and. Funny how that works. And means and. All means all. But some people kind of like to say, oh, well, it probably actually doesn't mean and. It probably means later or after. So we start in Jerusalem, and after we get everything in Jerusalem finished, then we can go to Samaria and Judea. And then if we have time, we'll get over there. Not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, and. Jesus wants his church to be powerfully present and active and witnessing in all the earth, all the time. Spoiler, we're not there yet. That's why we're talking about this, because we haven't done that yet 2,000 years later. Now, clearly, you can't be in four places at once. At least I can't be, although that would be really helpful a lot of days. Um, so this is where we start to see, okay, Jesus wants his church everywhere, all the time, witnessing in power. So that's going to require us being in different places. And so this is where we start to say, okay, there's, there's the mission that God calls his whole church to, and then there have to be individual roles that each of us play. So we're all called to be part of God's global mission. I hope that's clear by now. If it's not, talk to me later. Um, this is basically all Jesus talked about after his resurrection. We get five different stories of how he's teaching the disciples and preparing them for this mission. But here's the thing. Not all of us have to go. A lot of us are going to stay where we are, stay where God placed us in the beginning and help send those who do go. But we do need people who will actually pick up and move and go to a different location and cross cultural boundaries, cross language boundaries to share the good news with people that wouldn't hear it otherwise. So it's going to take all of us, to be in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, or in Carrollton and Houston and to the ends of the earth, whatever it looks like for wherever you are today. But here's the thing, we can't just force this to happen, and that's why this verse is so important, because this is the, the way it's going to happen, is through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't just force people to change their minds, that's, that's God's job. Our job is, is to present the message in a way that's clear and accessible and makes sense in their culture, but we're not going to be the ones who actually saves them. That's the Spirit's job. And as he empowers us, we are able to go. But the good news is that the Holy Spirit's already gone before us. The, the fancy 1700s words for this is prevenient grace. God goes before. The Holy Spirit is already actively working in the hearts of every human who's alive right now, drawing them to himself. And that's good news. Here's the problem. Almost half the world doesn't have any means of responding to how the Spirit is drawing them in the natural. Now, God can supernaturally give them that information. We hear stories often of people, especially in the Muslim world, seeing visions of Jesus and saying, hey, go here to find a Bible. God can do that, but that's not his normal means of how he does it. He does it by sending us. And the problem is, most of us have not as a church, talking about the global church, we've not yet gone to all the places that need this good news. Over half the world, almost, doesn't have good access to scripture in their language. They don't have access to Christian resources. As shocking as it sounds to most of us, they don't even have access to the internet, to Google answers, maybe in a more common trade language. They don't have any Christians who live maybe within hundreds of miles of them. 
So there's no way in the natural for them to respond to how God is leading them. And that's a problem because God told us to go. Um, as best we can tell, and different researchers will count it different ways, but there's about 17,000 unique people groups in the world. I think we have a chart that'll pop up here. Um, and so a little over 17,000 people groups, and then about 7,500 of them are unreached, which means they don't have any access to the gospel. They don't have Christian resources in their language. They don't have a church or Christians they could talk to. They may not have any way of getting that information, even if they wanted to have it. And so that's about 40% of the world. Over 3 billion people couldn't respond to Jesus, even if they wanted to. And that's a pretty heavy statistic. That's, that's hard to hear. That's not good news. But the good news is that God is sending us to them, and he's not done He's not done with us. He's not done with them. And all means all. God will save people from all tribes, all tongues, all languages. He will do it. And at First Methodist Carrollton, we care about missions because we believe all means all, right? Now, we also believe that all means all means we want our neighbors right here in Carrollton to be saved. This doesn't mean we don't care about DFW. We do. We care deeply about our literal neighbors right across the street. But the fact is, if this building was swallowed up by a black hole tomorrow, there are still hundreds, probably thousands of other churches in DFW that could reach our neighbors. And the reality is, for most of these countries on the wall here, there's no church, no, no witness of the gospel. And so that's why... We're never going to stop reaching our local community, but we're never going to stop sending people to the unreached, because if we don't go, there's a whole lot of people that don't have good news. We believe Jesus was serious when he told us to do this. We believe it's actually a task he expected us to do, and that it actually will get done. And like we said, it's not all resting on our shoulders. God is actively at work. It's his mission. He's the one calling and drawing people to himself. But he invites us to partner with him. And that's pretty incredible if you think about it, that the God of the universe hinges his reputation on being a God of all languages and all peoples and all cultures on his church and asks us, hey, I want you to do this for me. Tag, you're it. You get the Holy Spirit. Go. And we know that's the reality at the end of time that Revelation shows us that all peoples will be in front of the throne of God, worshiping him. And we just want to make that happen as soon as possible. That's why we're ascending church. So one more passage, and we'll wrap up. In Acts 13, we see the church at Antioch. Pastor John read this a few minutes ago. And so we learn a few things from this passage about the church at Antioch. They're a multi-ethnic church. We know that from their leadership and where their leadership was from. So they probably knew about Jesus' command to go to Pantata Ethne, all the nations, and they probably cared about it. But when they were seeking God and worshiping and fasting and praying together, seeking God, asking him to speak to them, he said, hey, I want you to take 40% of your leadership team and send them somewhere else. Now, there's not a whole lot of churches that would be super excited about that, just being real. Um, but they obeyed. They said, okay, that's what we need to do. And we know from Paul's conversion story a few chapters earlier that God had already told him, you're going to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, God could have just immediately sent Paul out to do that. God could have supernaturally provided Paul's physical needs, his financial needs, and just sent him out. 
But that's not what God did. God planted Paul in a community and then called the community together to give Paul a team and send them out as a team. And then they came back and reported to the whole church what God had done. So we know that God cares about community. That's something he told us from the very beginning. It is not good for man to be alone. God wants us to do ministry, to do life in relational connections. We believe that's important in this church, that we believe in connected community. And one of the reasons we're ascending church is because it's not like we just drop somebody off at the airport and say, see ya, hope you make it back. It's part of our connected community is in all these different countries around the world because God has connected them to us and we are still connected through Jesus, through the Spirit, through the mission of God that we share together. We're still connected to all these people, even though we may see them pretty rarely. And we have a responsibility for them to make sure they have what they need to do the mission that God has called them to do. We need to make sure they have the emotional support they need. It can be pretty dang isolating if you're one of 10 Christians in a city of half a million Muslims. Like, we don't have any idea what that's like. They need emotional support. They need our prayer support. Yes, they need financial support. And so there are ways that we can all be involved in this. But there's one more challenge I want to leave with you. As we've been praying about this as a missions committee and and praying about the theme for sent, one of the things we really felt that prayerfully we needed to put before the church is that we still believe God calls us to go. We still believe that God calls missionaries from among normal churches like us. And sometimes we don't like to hear that. Sometimes we're, we're scared about that for our children or scared about that for ourselves. And I'm not trying to create anxiety or fear or angst in anyone today. This is not a peer pressure. There's not going to be an altar call. I'm not expecting you to drive up here and come and do any commitment today. But I do want to just prayerfully put before you, God does call us to go. And unless some of us go, the mission's never going to get completed. Now, the whole church, the whole global church is responsible for that. And we've got Christians in China and Christians in all these countries around the world that are also going to other nations. It's not just on us. Uh, It's not just the West going to the rest of the world. It really is the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. That's never been more true since probably the first century than it is today, and that's awesome. But we also might be hearing a call from God to say, hey, maybe I want you more involved in this than you have been. And maybe for you that just means you're going to pray a lot more than you ever have. I know some of you are thinking, Lauren, I haven't been out of my house more than five times in the past year. You want me to go somewhere? No. But, but maybe there are ways we can all step up, level up. Maybe we need to pray more. Maybe God is impressing on us. We need to, to give a little more sacrificially. But maybe God is speaking to you, or maybe he's already spoken to you a long time ago that you have a call to the nations. And if so, I just want to say, we're going to be with you. That can be kind of an unnerving thing, an exciting thing, and sometimes people just don't know what to do with it, so they just don't ever do anything with it. And that's okay, because it is never too late to respond to God's call. It's never too late. God always has a purpose for you in every season of your life. It may look different than you thought it would have looked like 20 years ago, uh, but God always has something for you to do. And so as an ascending church, we want to say, hey, if, if God's tugging on your heart, we want to we know about it. We want to answer questions and walk with you and help you explore what that might look like in a new season. 
There's no greater joy for us than getting to send out our own, send out those that have been raised up and discipled in this church and now are leaving to be multiplied out into the kingdom. You know, and, and maybe that's not what God's calling you to do. Maybe he's calling you to make bank right here in DFW and use that to invest in the kingdom in strategic ways. Um, but maybe he is saying, hey, you're approaching retirement. Maybe you can use those financial skills or technical skills or HR skills and go invest them in a developing nation. Maybe that is something you would have never dreamed of, but God's saying, hey, I have more for you than you can ask or imagine. And it's not about forcing you to do something you don't want to do. It's about God opening up your heart to see the ways he's planned and created you from the very beginning of time. The dreams and desires he's put in your heart that you may not even fully understand why they're there. The education, the background you have. He may be bringing all that together for a moment where he says, hey, you've been serving me faithfully here, but I want to move you somewhere else where you can have even greater impact. So if that's you... Pray about it. Let us know. Again, this is not a peer pressure thing. This is not a try to whip up emotional frenzy thing and try to get everybody to commit to something they don't need to commit to because God calls us all in different ways. But we would be remiss if we didn't say, hey, we still believe that God wants to send people from this congregation, whether it's now or in the future, that we are ascending church and we will continue to be ascending church until Jesus comes back. So there's a mission saying, put your yes on the table and let God put it on the map. And so that's my, that's my invitation today, is would you just say, hey, God, wherever you want me, whether that's in Carrollton, Texas, for the rest of my days, whether that's somewhere else, God, use me. Whatever that looks like, I give you a yes, and you can do with it whatever you will. And really, that's the, the call to Christian discipleship, right? I mean, that's not anything over and above what we're supposed to do when we come and surrender our lives to Jesus, but sometimes it's just good to to be reminded of that, that God, wherever you want me, wherever I can be most impactful for your kingdom, that's where I want to be. So I'd invite you just to, to just pray that over the next few weeks. We're about to start the season of Lent. And for us as a church, we're going to be looking at what does it mean to know Jesus more? As we journey with Jesus to the cross and to the empty tomb, what does it mean to know Jesus more, to see the real Jesus? And I would say we can't really be sent until we've seen Jesus, until Jesus has transformed our lives. So let's lean in. Let's lean in and say, Jesus, who are you? I want to see you with fresh eyes. I want to see you, what you have to say for my life and where you want to use me, whether it's here or somewhere else. God, wherever it is, I want to see you and I want to know you more. So let's lean into that and see that, may the eyes of our heart be opened to see Jesus. And to know that wherever he sends us, from Carrollton to Cambodia to anywhere in between, we'll be ready to walk with him. Because it's all about being with him and letting others be with him. So I invite you to take this moment to pause. Let's just pause and ask God to speak to us. Take a minute right where you are. Let's quiet our hearts. Let's ask God to speak. God, where are you sending me in this season? Where can I best serve you for your glory and my good and the growth of your kingdom?